Hey everybody, welcome to episode 17 of the Talk About Cancer podcast. This is your host, Serena. If this is your first time listening to the show, please take a moment to hit that follow button on your podcast player, or you can subscribe on my website to get new episodes each week. Also, I'm always looking for guests to share their stories, especially from voices that are not always the loudest. You can learn more about the show or how to become a guest by going to talkaboutcancerpodcast.com. In today's episode, Alicia described the ways in which faith has shaped her dad's outlook and experience with end of life, and why the last six weeks of his life were both the best and the hardest. Let's dive into her story now, and I will check back in at the end. Welcome to the Talk About Cancer podcast. Let's start with a quick intro and have you tell us a little bit about yourself, who you are, where you're from, and anything else you like to share with our listeners. Hey, my name's Alicia. Uh, I grew up in Seattle, Washington, and I am going to be talking about my father who passed away from cancer almost exactly two years ago. He really made me who I am, so it's uh, pretty emotional to think about, um, but I'm excited to share a little bit of his life and hopefully bring some joy to every one of you. Thank you, Alicia. So let's go back to the beginning. How did this journey with cancer start for you and your dad? Yeah, I guess I'll go right into um, a little bit of my life to give some backstory on who my dad was. Um, my dad did not have a great family life growing up, um, and so he made a goal for himself to be the best father he could be, and so I got to receive the most love I've ever seen any father give, and I'm probably very biased, but uh, he, in my opinion, was the best dad that anyone could have ever asked for. Um, and why I say that and why even looking back in a brief synopsis of who he was, uh, every morning he would get up probably five in the morning, uh, maybe earlier, and he would start with a Bible study and prayer and meditation and be on his knees in uh, gratefulness and thankfulness to his heavenly father. And I would wake up in the morning and come out and see him on his knees finishing his Bible study and in between that, he would have started breakfast already, so there'd be some hot oatmeal on the stove with something to follow, whether it be scrambled eggs uh, or pancakes or some hot sausages to throw on, some uh, bread and cheese to make a breakfast sandwich, whatever it was. He knew that oatmeal would never fill me up, so he always had something to follow. Uh, so those mornings were just so precious in my mind, and after eating and um, being whisked off to the school bus, he would be home to greet us, or if we'd miss the bus, he would come pick us up and uh, meet us being me and my brother. So I have one brother who's 20 months younger than me, and we both were so close to our father, and, and I would uh, dare say still are, because I don't think we go a day without thinking about him. And uh, even growing up and going to college, my dad would call at least once a week, and we'd talk about life and where things were going, and um, I think one of the hardest moments pre-cancer was 
finishing college at Biola University in Southern California, thinking I would be moving back home to Washington to be with my family. And I took a job with Amazon that I thought would take me to Washington, but I had to sign without knowing a location. So the day before graduating from college, I hear that I'm moving to Florida. And so I packed up everything and moved to Florida. And when I told my dad that, I've he was so proud, yet so sad. <laughs> so um, he just was so excited to have me closer, and I was excited to be closer. But anyways, out of college, I moved away to Florida, so even further from home, and worked for Amazon in Florida for exactly a year, and moved home to Washington, and I remember my mom and I took a road trip, and we got home, and that night we got home, um, I'll never forget, my dad had steaks ready on the grill, and a whole spread of food, potatoes, sautéed mushrooms, probably, I don't remember the green, probably some sort of broccoli or zucchini, and uh, we ate out on our deck uh, overlooking the Puget Sound, and I remember about, I don't know, 30 minutes later, going in the house, and my dad's throwing it all up in the bathroom, and we just all thought he was sick, and but he said he hadn't been able to go to the bathroom for, it'd been a few months, really, um, and so something was wrong, and he just didn't want to admit it, and I remember the next morning, I just knew that I had to take him to the hospital, so it was literally, I'm home less than 24 hours from moving back home from Florida, and he goes into the hospital. He didn't want to go, so I just was like, okay, you really didn't sleep at all last night. You've been throwing up everything you're eating. Like, I almost had to force him to get in the car and go. And um, So anyways, we go to the hospital, and I remember they took a lot of tests, and um, at that point, we knew something was really wrong because the doctors were really concerned. But I remember they threw around the word cancer in that room, but my dad wanted me not to be there. So I had no idea that that was talked about. And it was uh, the next day when he and my mom went and talked to the doctor and learned more, but it wasn't, it was probably a week later that my dad actually told me and my brother, cause he just, I think didn't want to admit to us nor himself what we might be going through the next few years. So that was where it all began. Um, and then I'm just, I don't know, like, I think it was really God who coordinated the timing on that for me to be home and be home in a season where we didn't know he would be sick, but I just, for some reason, knew that I had to be home and quit my job, not knowing what would happen, but um, it was the start of the next season of our family's life over the next two years of um, going through cancer and chemo. And Do you think he knew something was wrong and he was avoiding it? I think if he would have gone in sooner, they might have been able to catch it and get it out faster. Um, he was 52 when he was diagnosed, and he didn't do his mm -hmm. colonoscopy at 50. So that's something I always tell people. Just get your colonoscopy at 50 or sooner. Make sure you're checking that because you just never know. Um, but, yeah, he hated going to the doctor. So he's a lot like your dad and probably a lot like most men where <laughs> – they just so stubborn. They're like, I'll get better. It'll, it's not long term. It's right. probably just a fluke. And then it happens for months. And you're like, 
why didn't you go sooner? Yeah. And especially I know from my dad, the colonoscopy thing was just like a no-go for him. So I think he actually got away with just doing stool sample for a long time, which I think is not nearly as accurate. But yeah, but he was just like not doing it. (laughs) I don't even want to go see a doctor. I'm not doing a colonoscopy. Yeah. So that was the beginning of it all. And so it sounds like he was still trying to protect you and your brother, probably, and the rest of the family. So what happened next with the family? We stayed really close. Um, I didn't want to take a job, but um, I had a job opportunity presented to me in Olympia, Washington, about an hour and a half south of where my parents were, and my dad really encouraged me to take it. So um, he started his chemo journey, and I started a job in Olympia, and my brother had just graduated college, um, and he was moving home, so he was able to spend some good time with my dad. And I just started a routine where um, I actually lived at a friend's house in Olympia for those two years because I was only there probably four nights out of the week. I would drive home to Seattle on Friday night after work, and I'd probably leave work around three or four, just earlier than the other days. And I would drive for the hour and a half, just push through Seattle traffic and make it home on Friday night for Friday night dinner with family, and I'd be there Saturday night and Sunday night. And... Then I would uh, wake up Monday, probably 5 in the morning. I'd leave for work and make it to work just in time, beating all the Seattle traffic. So I'd just be in early on Monday. and That way I'd have three nights and two and a half days with my family every weekend. So I felt like I wasn't missing out on too much, and my dad still had a business to run. So he was still pretty busy and doing chemo. and That was kind of the routine that life took for the next couple years and I assume at one point y'all had to sit down and have a discussion about he is sick and the seriousness of it all it was a little tough because the doctors were super optimistic about his healing at first Um, and for about a year and a half it was just all good news to go to this chemo session do this radiation Uh, we'll do a surgery, try to cut it out at this time, and then we'll just see where we go from there. And so the doctors were just, and as chemo was going, the mass in his colon was getting smaller and they were able to go in and do surgery and everything was just like they had a system and following it and everything was going according to plan. I think before chemo even started, we had a moment where we sat down with his family. I remember it was in the summer. It was probably July of 2017, in the heat of Seattle summers, beautiful outside. We just sat down, the birds were chirping, the grass was green, uh, and we just sat outside as a family. And my brother and I kind of knew some announcement was going to be made, but that was the week after he had been diagnosed and sat us down and told us he wasn't sure if he'd go through chemo at that point. Um, He was still debating on how he wanted to attack the cancer. At first, he wanted to try a lot of herbal teas and um, try to fight it naturally. But 
eventually he came to the conclusion that there was only so much he could do at this point, and with the mass as large as it was, just decided that if he wanted to be around, that this was the best route. So that was when, uh, yeah, it was that moment in the backyard when he shared with the family that we realized it was a big deal, that we were going to have to start some sort of journey, whether it be a natural remedy or chemo. And, uh, I mean, I think every person has their own experience and emotions that surround the word cancer. Most of them not very good. Uh, my mom's dad had passed away from cancer maybe two to three years before. So our experience with cancer before was that, and he had cancer for a lot longer than my dad did. So it didn't seem as if we'd lose him right away if at all, the way the doctors were talking and so optimistic. So a lot of it was shocking. And yeah, once we got over the initial shock, it was more of, okay, how do we deal with this as a family and continue to take it on together while still supporting, especially the person who has cancer, um, more so than any of us. So I think the focus more than ever before was on taking care of dad, which he never really needed anyone to take care of him. Kind of like we talked about earlier with the doctors, he just didn't want to go see a doctor, didn't want to have anyone else cater to his needs. So he felt probably pretty invincible up until that point in his life because he was still very young and strong. Yeah, so it was it was just a shock for everyone. I remember starting chemo, it almost seemed like there was no change in him at first. When did that start to change? I would say probably a year and a half into the journey. Once the chemo had brought the size of the mass down, they went in to cut it out. And my dad had to have a bag for a long time while his colon healed. So he had a colostomy bag. And that was the first time I'd ever seen my dad really lose hope for a moment um, because it was so gross to him. I just remember he'd have to clean himself and change the bags and he'd have to get on his knees to pour the stuff out into the toilet. And that was just really degrading to him. Mm. At that point, I watched my dad start to kind of leave emotionally because it was just so hard for him to have to lose so much of himself. Um, Like he loved going in a hot tub and going in the water, dipping in a lake every now and then. And he, with that colostomy bag, could barely take a shower. Um, That was really tough to watch. And that was when he started going downhill was that bag and starting to lose hope. And then the doctor said they would try to put him back together. Once he got put back together was when the pain started to come back a lot. Mm. And so he went back into the hospital for a while. That was the first time he like really was in the hospital for a long time. He just continued to go downhill from there. Just there was no up from there. So that kind of takes me back to, I think, what you were saying earlier before we started recording. Yeah, I think he was less scared of death than he was of the colostomy bag, (laughs) Uh, which is so interesting to me. But, I mean, throughout the whole process, he was still the same man 
that had raised me where he'd get up in the morning and have his Bible study. And I would say he was even more desperate for the Word of God and the hope that the early mornings brought for him. Sitting in his chair, looking outside, listening to the birds. He loved walking outside barefoot, so he would go outside and just spend prayer time um, walking with his bare toes, touching the fresh dew on the grass and um, I just have that picture of him in my head so yeah even um, towards the end he still had so much hope and joy and I got to see a lot of that when I was home on Saturday and Sunday mornings I would go out in the morning with him to the living room and we would have that bible time and prayer together and I always saw him just so optimistic about the future no matter what happened whether He was going to be healed in the way we wanted and wanted him to be around or the ultimate healing of being in heaven with his Savior. So I really appreciated that mindset. And it's interesting how my father lived. And looking back, it brings me so much joy to think about how he lived every day as if he was going to die tomorrow, even before he knew he had cancer. And that's something that just stuck with me. And even if it wasn't the smartest thing to do, he would just want to have the most fun with his life. So growing up, almost every year we'd go on a family vacation, whether it be a camping trip or extravagant trip to Hawaii. But he just made time and energy and financial priority to get away with our family, just the four of us, my mom, him, my brother, and I. And... We'd go on crazy adventures, whether it be in Hawaii and driving the, uh, I think it's the road to Hana, and at the end of it, just cliff jumping into the water. (laughs) He just, he would do that stuff with us, and he just loved it. And I remember even growing up, he had a a family friend who lives in Chelan, Washington, and they live on Lake Chelan. And every morning when we'd be over there for like a week in the summer, whatever it was, he would, every morning, super early, he would jump in the lake, freezing cold, just like five or six in the morning, jump in and put some biodegradable soap in his hair and take his shower for the day. And that's just how he lived life. He just was like ready to go first thing in the morning. And um, by the time we got up, he like would have the boat ready and we would just get on water skiing and inner tubing and whatever it was. And um, he just lived every day like that to the fullest. And I just... I take so many notes in that because I think sometimes I can tend to worry, think like any of us. And I know he definitely had his own anxieties, but most of the time no one would be able to notice because he just lived every day so fully. Was he able to carry that attitude? Did that change towards the end? Yeah, so the hardest but almost one of the most memorable seasons of the cancer journey was towards the end, the last six weeks of his life when We brought him home from the hospital, and he was on hospice, and we just knew that it was the end. Um, He really let go of all control, like he had to, and he knew he was going to be leaving, and that's when I saw him really give it all to Jesus even more, and he was just had so much peace at the end. and he still lived every day to the fullest. It was so the fun part of all that was he would still get up probably 
I mean, typical time, like four or five in the morning. And he would start <laughs> making coffee because at that point he couldn't eat anything. He was on a liquid only diet. So instead of making breakfast, he would probably make five different kinds of coffee, whether it be iced coffee. <laughs> he had this fake frother that a friend brought him. He had like three different syrups and he would make all of these and he'd be like, oh, th this is awful. I'm trying this again. And he'd go again and make another one. And he continued to do that for the morning. And then he'd go out and he'd have to water his plants. So he'd like put his little cords and stuff that he had connected to his bed and he'd unclip himself entirely. Even if no one was helping him, he'd unclip and just go outside and just start watering everything <laughs> barefoot. <laughs> and he just lived those last few days like, like a man who had a... I don't know, like a kid in a candy store still. And it was fun to watch. It was hard to watch because, like, I mean, you can't say no to someone like that who's anyone who's passing, like, anything he asked for, we'd just get him. And I remember one morning he just had to have his Frosted Flakes because he hadn't in so long. That's his favorite cereal. And he's like, Alicia, I have to have Frosted Flakes. He just looked at me with almost tears <laughs> in his eyes like, Dad, you're on a liquid diet. Are you sure? You want to do that? He's like, yeah, I'll soak it real good, and it, it'll it'll be okay. It'll come back out, and I'll feel fine. I was like, okay. So I snuck out to the store. No one else was awake. No one else knew. I got his Frosted Flakes. I still have the box because <laughs> it was last box of Frosted Flakes. Made him a big bowl, and I remember him sitting there. Just I still have a video, and he's sitting there, and he's like, it's great. <laughs> eating his frosted flakes chewing it really really good <laughs> and it's he was just so cute and still such a kid he was always a kid at heart and even the last few weeks he never lost that so I love those moments with him and those are moments I will absolutely never forget so yeah frosted flakes will forever be in my mind as as that moment and we definitely had a hard time that afternoon with it coming back up through his I can't remember if it was like the NG NG tube, I think is what they call it. So everything would come back out and got a little clogged. So I had to let the secret out then to my mom, but we cleaned it up okay. <laughs> it's like, sorry, mom, we had to. <laughs> That's really, really amazing. He just continued to be himself, right? Living life to the fullest, having fun. So did he being that way then prevent you from being able to express sad emotions in front of him. Like, you know, I, I know I had moments where I would just cry in the shower because I didn't want to cry in front of my dad because I felt like that would just make him sad to see me sad. Yeah, I think we definitely didn't want to make him more sad than he was. So the reason I say that is because he was so happy and lived to the fullest, but it was probably some of the best six weeks of our lives with him, but also some of the worst. And amidst the worst, I remember when we brought him home the first night he was on hospice. That was the only time where he was like, he couldn't believe that this was the end. And it was coming to terms that he was home on hospice. And he was about to leave this earth and he kept saying over and over again, like, I can't believe this is happening. This isn't me. Don't bring that bed in here because they're bringing all the hospice stuff in. Mm -hmm. It's like, I don't need that. I don't know why this is happening. Like, make it stop. Make it stop. And I think that was probably one of the harder nights. And 
I left the room because his best friend was there and my mom was there. And I just, it was an overwhelming moment. So my brother and I had some good time crying together during that. And we would kind of take moments like that to ourselves because it was really hard. And we would um, try not to share that with him because we knew that he was already going through so much. And if we were to cry and deal with it in front of him, then it would just make it harder for him. And so it definitely hindered us being able to like maybe grieve with him. But I don't regret that. I don't think I would want any of those moments with him to be super sad. There were a few moments where like I would tear up with him. Like I remember when he started maybe the last three days and he lost his speech. I remember him like just Mm. almost in a whisper say, I love you. And he's looking Mm. right at my eyeballs, like right into my soul. And I will never forget that because I think... I mean, those are the last three words I ever heard him speak. And, um, yeah, it was just a very emotional time. And I definitely teared up in that moment. Um, There were just some really hard times where it was like the last two days. He didn't remember who I was. Um, So those were some of the harder moments. But he was more gone at that point. So it was a little bit easier to let ourselves be who we were in front of him because we just had to be there and, he wasn't our dad anymore at that point. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I, I just remember one of the things that really stuck with me at the end was he was so worried about me and my mom and my brother to be okay without him. Mm-hmm. And so he asked me, like, are you guys going to be okay financially? Like, are you going to be able to make it through? I knew I would. I had a plan and I was very smart in that way. And same with my brother. Like my brother's even more so, more wise than I am when it comes to finances. And I knew we'd be okay. So it was just like in that moment comforting him to be like, Daddy, you raised us so well. Like you taught us so many good things and we love you, but we don't need you anymore. Like you're fine to do what you need to do now and take care of yourself. Yeah. So those moments, I would definitely tear up with him. But I would say that it was, I don't know if hindrance is the right word, but it was um, not beneficial to our emotions to let them run when he was there, just because we knew those were his last moments. And so to make every one of those last moments more joyful. Um, I would say leading up to it, though, before he was on hospice, there were more raw emotions with him. I remember being in the hospital one time and we just would have very deep conversations about where he was going, what his relationship with God looked like. We would sing hymns together and we would talk about where my life was going and my goals. And he just really wanted me and my brother to be happy and my mom he just really wanted us to still be able to live our lives and he hated as you said earlier being a burden like that was one of his biggest concerns he hated how much time he took away from our lives but I would say that I've never lost any time it was all gain from spending all that time with him on the weekends and just being there for him so it sounded like you and your brother I mean it sounds like you guys are close and you guys were good support for each other. Was that any different with your mom in terms of how much you guys are sharing what you were feeling? Yeah, I think she bottled up a little bit more, but it was more of 
our relationships with the, our dad was different than hers as like hers was romantic and loving. And right. um, I think my brother and I were able to bond over a more similar relationship with him where she was more grieving a partner. And I would say that my dad was, would be somewhat of a partner to me, like a best friend, but my mom's and his relationship was so precious in its own way that she was grieving and losing something more because that was her life partner that she would have to live the rest of her life alone. And so in moments it was harder for her to grasp, I think. And she had so many more details she was thinking through. Like, is she going to keep the house? Is she going to continue to live where they've lived for the last 25 years? Or is she going to have to downsize? And there were a lot of things with the business that she was helping my dad wrap up. So they were trying to figure out so much in the last few months where my brother and I didn't have to be there for all that. We didn't have to deal with those details. So my brother and I had some good one-on-ones and had that time together, but we also had a different relationship with him. So I think that just made the grieving while he was on hospice different and even the grieving after a little bit different. What would you say, this is a question from someone who is not religious, how has your faith helped you or not helped you through that process in the end? That's a great question. Um, I think because my faith was so strong, because my dad's faith was so strong, I was a little bit rocked by God allowing something so terrible to happen to me such a faithful follower of Jesus. So I've had to walk through that a little, a lot. And um, prayer, I was praying so much for his healing. And I, for me, it made me doubt the power of prayer. Like, is God powerful enough to take care of the things that we're asking him to on earth? And I have come to the conclusion after working through that, that God is powerful enough and he did answer my prayer of healing, just maybe not in the way that I had wanted. So like, I believe that my dad is fully and completely healed, but with Jesus and there is no more pain, no more sorrow, no more heartache. And that there is a future for my dad, just not in this earthly world right now with me, which is still hard to grasp. Um, but it has allowed me to, ultimately grow in my faith. And I have been trying to be more intentional with prayer and writing down my prayers and especially making a pile of all the prayers that I've written down that have been answered to show like God is powerful. It's hard for me to explain at times because I'm still working through a lot of that. Uh, But I would say that ultimately at first it was definitely hard But it has gotten easier after diving more into the Word of God and reading the Bible and trying to find answers. I've been able to find a lot more than I thought I would. And I've been able to um, realize that the story doesn't revolve around me, which I knew and I know. But God's ultimate plan to redeem this world was through His Son, Jesus. And 
those details can easily be like when I read the word and I want it to apply to me, I can easily take it out of context and say, this is how this verse is helping me today. But if I look at context and figure out how it actually relates into the larger picture of redemption and where God is calling us to, like his ultimate goal is to bring us to heaven with him so that he can love us for eternity. And we have to choose that. And we can experience parts of heaven and his love here on earth if we have access to that through prayer and his joy. And so my faith in that has grown to be reminded that I am not the center of the story. Jesus is. And Jesus came to redeem us so that God continue to love us. So it just keeps coming back and circling back to how much God loves us. But in summary, my faith has ultimately grown, even though the death and process of cancer definitely rocked some of the foundations of my faith at first. And I thank you for sharing that. Um, (laughs) Because as someone who is not religious, I often wondered about that because there's so much catastrophe in the world and unfortunate things that happen to each and every one of us. And I often wondered how people reconcile that with their faith. So thank you for for sharing that very honestly. It makes sense just on a human level to experience something like that would make you question and challenge some of those beliefs that you've had. But it sounds like you've worked you're still working, working it on through. it. <laughs> You're working it through. <laughs> okay. Is there anything else you would like to share with someone who may be going through a similar experience right now? Yeah. So I think the biggest thing I wanted to share was how my dad lived every life to the fullest, even pre-cancer. And I think that's just a lesson to all of us. You never know when you're going to go. You never know when this temporary life is going to end. So to live completely with the faith that tomorrow isn't promised to us, then we tend to live a little bit more fearlessly. And I think a lot of people need to remember that because I need to remember that every day. And I look to my dad who gave such a pure example of that. So that was one of the big messages. And then, and the second thing that I wanted to touch on, which you had talked about a little bit earlier was the faith aspect of it, where Uh, My dad was just so solid in his faith and knew where he was going that that, even in the midst of heartache and uncertainty and when he was really doubting, one of the things my dad continued to say at the end was, well, before hospice, was that he didn't think it was time for him to die. He didn't think that he was ready. He still had so much that he wanted to do, but it also taught him in the end and what he told me is that we never know what more God wants us to do. And we never know what more this life has for us. And we can't plan for that. And just as he did, live every day like it's your last. And he, once he accepted that, the last few weeks where he was making coffee and watering in the yard, like those were his embracing of realizing, like, I thought my life was going to go a different way. I thought that this was where life was going to take me. But then he realized, like, it all wasn't in his control. And when he let go of control and just let life kind of take its course, then he really had that peace and he knew that God had a plan. Um, So that eternal perspective of knowing that he was going to go to a better place, knowing that 
this world full of sin and heartache and heartbreak and pain that we experience while on this earth as human beings um, was going to go away. You said something earlier that really hit it good um, that I always think about. And as humans, we tend to take conversations, whether it be with a husband or wife, sibling, mother or father, we tend to take moments so personally when in the big grand scheme of things, this life is so short. Do we want to spend our time bickering and arguing over the things like, I wanted you to cut the crust off my sandwich. Like, (laughs) I don't know why that (laughs) came in my head, but why are we starting to do stuff like that where it really doesn't matter? And there's so many more opportunities we have to uh, create joy in our lives where I had a lot of friends in college who would use the hashtag fight for your joy. And I love that because there's so many times we allow this world to overcome our senses and just allow us to react to people. And then we regret it later and we have to go apologize. But why don't we just in the moment realize and slow down for a moment that we don't have to get angry and we can live every day with more joy I don't know. You can create joy. If you're fighting for your joy, if you're choosing to water those plants in the morning and walk through the yard in your bare feet and making those conscious choices to take time for yourself and to slow down and remember what is most important in your life, which for me at this point is Jesus and my family. And right now, just building that family with my husband and just (laughs) continue to grow in joy has been the theme of all of this. Like, how do you find joy in the midst of dealing with cancer and dealing with the loss of a loved one and dealing with the other pains of this world, whether like we touched on financially, just all those details that um, tend to bog us down. How do we continue to be joyful? And so that's the question I kind of want to leave with everyone is how do you find joy and how are you using the opportunities in your everyday life to find that joy? It's a very beautiful message. Thank you so much for sharing all of it. Thanks for being here for it. I had thought this conversation with Alicia would be a bit teary because we both had gone through the end-of-life process with our dads relatively recently, but it didn't turn out to be that way because her dad had faith to lean on during his journey with cancer, which gave him the wisdom to let go of control and continue to find joy even when there was very little time left. It was a very powerful example of how faith can lift us up in the most challenging times. On the other hand, Alicia has such vivid memories of her dad. I love the way she described the images in her mind for the listeners. Like the way she would wake up in the morning to find her dad finishing Bible studies or watching him watering plants without shoes on. Talking about those memories always brought a smile to her face and it made me realize what an incredible gift her dad had given her. Because of the way he was able to find joy even in the toughest moments, it allows Alicia to also find joy when thinking about this very challenging period of their lives. And that's a wrap for today. Please follow the podcast if you would like to hear more stories from cancer survivors, caregivers, and family members. I would really appreciate it if you can leave an honest rating and review in Apple Podcasts or Podchaser so I know if I'm serving the interests and needs of you listeners out there. You can also share any feedback and suggestions directly to me by visiting talkaboutcancerpodcast.com. Thank you for listening.